Chapter 12, The True Hebrew Messiah Just who is this Messiah Christianity is expecting? They claim it's the Jewish Messiah of the first century, but that belief has major problems. First of all, why does this Jewish Messiah they claim to be waiting for have a Greek name? Remember, Revelation 13:8 tells us the sacrifice of the Hebrew Messiah, or the Lamb, was ordained from the foundation of the world. And he chose the Hebrews to produce that Messiah. Obviously, if the Hebrew Messiah was ordained to shed his blood from the beginning, he was certainly not plan B, which means his name would have also been ordained from the beginning. <clears throat> Besides, if one changes the Messiah's name, which of course is nowhere authorized, how can he still be the same Messiah? Doesn't a different name make him a different one? Let's take the name God, for instance. <clears throat> Isn't that what everyone calls their God or gods? After all, God is what Allah means. Is Allah the same God Christianity worships? I'm pretty sure most, if not all, Christians would have a problem with the name of their God being the same as Islam's. The only difference is one is God pronounced in Arabic and the other English. Why more Christians don't have a problem with that fact is beyond me. In fact, it once occurred to me there could be a conversation between a Muslim, a Catholic, a Jew, a Mormon, and a Protestant about God with all believing they are talking about the same deity, <clears throat> i.e. their God. It's only possible because they all use a generic title, God, as their God's name. But isn't the solution to the problem to simply use the personal name of their God to eliminate the confusion? In fact, the Creator Himself tells us His name is Kodesh, which is Hebrew meaning to be separate, or set apart, or exclusive. With that in mind, can we honestly believe the great Creator God shares His name and or title with all the pagan and or false gods? <clears throat> honestly, considering the Creator is above and separate from the other gods, that is, He's their Creator, <clears throat> how could He possibly have the same name or title? Honestly, simple common sense tells us such a thing is impossible. But then we're told the devil is the author of confusion, and using a generic one-size-fits-all title as a name is extremely confusing. The truth is, the Creator has a personal name, which he revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14. That name was the Hebrew tetragrammaton YHWH, mentioned in an earlier chapter which in English loosely means I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. Paleo, or ancient Hebrew, did not use vowels, due to the fact each consonant had its own built-in vowel sound. That yod, which is the y, and the hey, uh, and the wa, and the final hey, when pronounced together, sound like Yahweh. Unfortunately, some high-ranking rabbi or high priest around the 3rd century BCE determined the personal name Yahweh was just too sacred for the average person to use and decreed it only be used by the priests and only in the Sabbath ceremonies. <clears throat> but the scriptures in the Old Testament command his name to not only be proclaimed but praised and glorified dozens of times. To get the people to stop proclaiming Yahweh's name as commanded, that rabbi created a substitute. He took the vowels of, the, of Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord, and inserted them between the tetragrammaton Yahweh to come up with Yehovah, or Yehovah, as a substitute. Consequently, the Israelites were chastised for forgetting his set-apart personal name in Jeremiah 23:27. There it says, As their fathers, that is the Israelites, forgot my name for Baal, uh, that is the Lord. 
And obviously they forgot his name primarily because they stopped using it. In fact, when the 1611 King James translation was done, the translators went one step further by replacing the substitute Jehovah with the Lord almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Shockingly, Baal is the Canaanite word for the Lord. Baal was the primary Canaanite god, sun, S-U-N, and S-O-N god. The Israelites were continually chastised for worshiping. As the wise man Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And modern Israel is still worshiping the same pagan gods as in ancient times. Our English word God is a translation of the Hebrew, that is the Canaanite word El or Elohim, <clears throat> which is the father god of the Canaanites. He's also the father of Baal, the ancient sun god. <clears throat> Adding to the pantheon of pagan gods modern Israel is once again worshiping is the mother and child we see so often in religious statues and idols. That mother-child deity originated with Ishtar, which is also known as Isis, Astarte, Semiramis, etc., <clears throat> with her supposedly immaculately conceived son, Horus. Again, modern Israel is no different from ancient Israel, except each tribe has become independent and a great nation, just as Abram, Isaac, and Jacob were promised in Genesis. Considering modern Israel has been coerced into worshiping by the demon spirits, that is, the same ancient pagan gods as our ancestors, would they not also have been tricked into worshiping a false and or pagan Greek messiah? The answer to that is an obvious and resounding yes. <clears throat> In fact, it takes very little effort to unveil that truth. If one looks at a copy of the first 1611 King James translation, we discover not only many of the Septuagint Apocrypha books, 10 of them actually, but we'll notice the absence of the most popular name in Christianity, Jesus. Yes, Jesus is a translator creation of the 17th century. <clears throat> the name of the Messiah found in the 1611 is Isis, which is a short, uh, shortened version of the older Greek word Aesus. Aesus is not a name, but a Greek word meaning Savior. Because Aesus is not a name, only a title, that Savior could be anyone or anything. Besides, as mentioned before, the first century Messiah of the Jews was, well, Hebrew, not Greek. Not only was he a Hebrew and a Levite at that, he had a Hebrew name. <clears throat> in the Gospels, we find the Hebrew Messiah preaching in the temple. That in mind, we have to understand the Pharisees would not even walk down the same side of a street with a Greek, let alone allow someone with a Greek name to enter and or teach in the temple. In fact, they called the Jews, <clears throat> the Israelites with Greek names, Hellenists, and placed them in the same category as full-blooded Greeks. With all that in mind, most people, especially Christians, simply cannot grasp or accept how such a monstrous change could have occurred and shrug it off as impossible. But both reality and common sense show us it obviously did happen. Actually, there is a very logical explanation if one is to dig a little deeper into historical events. Unfortunately, those historical events involve Christianity's beloved apostle, which is another reason they refuse to go there. But remember, the Hebrew Messiah told his disciples that false prophets, which includes apostles, that's in Revelation 2, would come and be so crafty and deceptive as to possibly deceive even the elect. What few people understand or are taught is, in the first century, going all the way back to Egypt and earlier, there was a punishment for certain crimes called blotting out. What this entailed was the forbidding of the use of the name of the criminal ever to be used or spoken again. 
If anyone was caught using or uttering the blotted out name, they were condemned to the same fate. Of course, one of the crimes including the blotting out decree was blasphemy. Since the Jews needed an excuse, for which they had none, to crucify the Hebrew Messiah, they used the charge of blasphemy. They were able to invoke the crime of blasphemy due to his claim of being the Son of God, or Yahweh. The crazy thing is, it was absolutely true, which made what they did to him literal murder. Getting back to the exchanging of the Hebrew Messiah's Hebrew name for a Greek title, it's very understandable when taking a closer look at who did what. According to Dr. Bart Ehrman, a leading authority in the New Testament, the only one to actually write anything himself was Paul. In the first century, the only literate people, that is, those that could read and write, were the wealthy nobles and the Jewish priesthood. The average person could never afford a university education to learn to read or write. They were too busy just keeping food on the table and a roof over their heads. The twelve disciples were all poor peasants, no doubt illiterate, and would never have been able to read or write even their own language, Aramaic, let alone university-level Greek, in which all the New Testament was written. Dr. Bart Ehrman was able to determine that fact by comparing the original New Testament <clears throat> to Greek to other first century writings by other famous university educated writers. The seven books of Paul, not 13 as taught by Christianity, could not have even been written by Paul considering he, being a Pharisee, would have only been literate in Hebrew and Aramaic. Being a rabbi, Paul would have been educated by the, the Jewish priesthood and never a Greek university. They were not allowed to go anywhere near such a Gentile or unclean place. But it's quite possible Paul's scribe Luke, who was apparently a doctor, could have been Greek university educated. <clears throat> As for the rest of the books of the New Testament, none of them were written by the twelve apostles or even the Messiah. Even the three books supposedly to be written by John are obviously all different authors when the original Greek is compared. Writing is like art. You can always tell the artist by his style and all the Gospels were only attributed to the names given them and not by that person or name at all. In fact, many sections of the Gospels were copied word for word from an original, which most believe was Mark. The others copied and added additional information. <clears throat> According to Dr. Ehrman, all the New Testament books other than Paul's were passed orally for up to three decades until someone commissioned a Greek university-educated scribe to chronicle the oral stories. Obviously, when things are passed orally, they are never completely accurate. In fact, you can ask five witnesses to give their version of an event and get five different renditions. <clears throat> they will all describe the same event, but it will be a little different. Christianity tries to get us to believe all those books were inspired by God, but considering all the problems and differences, especially the names, to say the Creator inspired the writing and books is absurd. Remember, believe has a lie hiding right in the middle. Getting back to the name change problem, it seems to have been set in motion by dear old Paul. The reason we can logically conclude this was because Paul was the first New Testament author to write anything. It makes Paul the perfect substitute, the one the first to substitute a generic Greek title in lieu of the true Hebrew Messiah's name. It's quite understandable considering the name of the Hebrew Messiah had been blotted out due to his having been convicted of blasphemy. Paul, not having been one of the twelve to receive the great outpouring of Yahweh's spirit and power, of spirit of life and power, would not have been or had would not have had the courage to defy the blotting out decree. 
Besides, Paul was a Pharisee who was very meticulous with following the rules, like the blotting out rule. Of course, you may ask why did the rest of the books written follow Paul's lead in the name substitution? Well, it's quite logical and simple. The others who had the oral stories written were not the twelve apostles either. And obviously the Greek scribes would have feared the blotting out decree as well. We can be sure the twelve apostles, filled with Yahweh's spirit of power, life, and truth, would no doubt have been proclaiming and using the true name. After all, using a Greek title for Yeshua's name is a lie. As we are told in Revelation 21.8, all liars will have their place in the lake that burns with fire. That is the second death. Another way we can be sure the first century Messiah was not named Isis or Jesus is by the meaning of the original ordained Hebrew name. Names in ancient Israel carried messages and teachings, even prophecies. We even see the prophetic names given today as <clears throat> in the last couple presidents. As noted earlier, the Hebrew Messiah's Hebrew name was Yeshua, <clears throat> which takes very little research to prove. But the greatest truth is the shocking meaning of Yeshua. We'll see that shortly. In Malachi 1.6, the Creator, that is the Father Yahweh, asks a rhetorical question. A son honors his father, and if I, Yahweh, am the father, where is my honor, says Yahweh. Obviously, the honor, honor is extremely important to the Creator. In fact, to this day, a son honors his father by taking and carrying on his name, the last name at least. Considering that scripture, are we really to accept the true Hebrew Messiah blatantly dishonored his father by assuming a Gentile or pagan Greek title as a name, which completely leaves his father out of the picture? How absolutely absurd! To think Yahweh would accept his firstborn son having his ordained name, that is, before the world was created, changed to a generic Greek title, is beyond ridiculous. Of course, Christianity has taken the dishonor to a whole new level by trying to get us to believe Jesus is also the Father and the Son and Father and Holy Spirit, all the same person with three separate personalities. Again, such insanity. That's a concept which does not logically compute on any level. Seriously, the only way you can have one person with three separate personalities is if a person is possessed by two demon spirits or is a three-headed monster. But neither alternative is in any way, shape, or form good. Before getting into the actual meaning of the true Hebrew Messiah's name, let's first examine Jesus' designation, which many believe is like a last name, Christ. Again, Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. Christos is the Greek version or translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. Both words have the same basic three meanings, anointed one, anointed ones, and anointing. Unfortunately, the translators failed to translate Christos into one of its three meanings, that is, according to context and left it Christ. <clears throat> Due to that, Christians think Christ is part of Jesus' name, but nothing can be further from the truth. Unfortunately, that translator error has reduced much of the New Testament teachings to utter nonsense. For instance, many places where Christ is used, it's not a reference to the Messiah at all, but the anointing of Yahweh's Spirit. Other places where we see the body of Christ referred to has nothing to do with the Messiah's body either, but is a reference to the anointed ones. Again, those upon whom the great outpouring of Yahweh's Spirit fell. One more proof the Creator Yahweh did not have a hand in inspiring the New Testament and that it was done by the God of this world. Another problem with Christ or Christos is just who the Greek anointed ones actually are. It takes very little research to discover all the Greek gods were anointed ones, i.e. Christ's. 
Each was anointed for a different purpose, with Zeus becoming the chief anointed one, or Christ, after he and his brothers dethroned his father Kronos, or Saturn, the ruler of the father god of the Titans. <clears throat> the Titans were the old gods, or what we know as the Watchers, who descended upon Mount Hermon and set themselves up as the first angelic gods of the earth in place of Yahweh. The Olympians were apparently the Nephilim offsprings of those Titan gods. Getting back to the name Yeshua, and to wind up this chapter, we find the name Yeshua gives all honor and credit to his father Yahweh. In Isaiah 45 and verse 21, we find Yahweh, that is Yeshua's father, proclaiming, And there is no other, that is true, God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none other besides me. No, Yeshua and Yahweh are not one and the same. The first part of Yeshua, Yah, is Yahweh, the Father, and the last part is Shua, which means Savior. Yahweh's firstborn son's name is a proclamation that Yahweh, the Father, is a Savior. It was the translator's removal of Yahweh's name and replacing it with the Lord that's responsible for that confusion. They teach what happened with the Messiah was just as with the Greek gods, where the son replaced his father as God and Savior. No, Yeshua certainly did not dethrone and or replace his father as creator, God, and Savior. Just the opposite. Yeshua honored his father in every way possible and would never have dreamed of dishonoring him by replacing his preordained by Yahweh name with a Greek and or Gentile title. By the way, very few people notice the name of the most celebrated holy day in America. That name, of course, is Christmas, Christmas. The shocking thing is the name of the day celebrated as the birth of the Messiah is actually the opposite. You see, Christmas is a compound word. The first half is obvious. Christ comes from the Greek meaning Messiah. But few realize the last half, Mass, is the Latin word meaning death of or to kill. In fact, Mass is the Latin root for our word massacre. So instead of celebrating the birth of the Messiah, people have been tricked into celebrating the death of the Messiah. 